Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. I am going to wrap up this series today on uh, effect, we've called it Effective Powerful Prayer. And uh, this will be week number seven. Well, that's hard to believe, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing that. That was really good. Thank you, Lord. So good to see everybody this morning. Well, we've covered some powerful steps thus far. You know, we talked about praying God's Word. We talked about understanding the power of righteousness, the praying in the name of Jesus, you know, fellowshipping with the Father. Last week, we talked about living life without worry and fear. Amen? That's a, that's a big deal. Amen? Is it possible to live life without worry and fear? Well, according to Jesus, it is. He's delivered us from the spirit of fear. Amen? Now, I'd, I'd like to read uh, a couple of verses here in Luke chapter 18. We'll get this final point out here today. And uh, Luke 18, verse 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, Jesus, that men ought always to pray and not faint. Now, that's what I want to talk about here. Never quitting. Never quitting. Quitting is not an option for the believer. Amen? If we want to win. So he spake a parable to them, saying that men ought always to pray and not faint. The New King James says he spake a parable unto them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. I like that. And the NLT says that men should always pray and never give up. Never give up. How many of you know the easiest thing in the world to do in any, any realm, whether it be spiritual, physical, mental, financial, whatever, it's easy to give up or quit, isn't it? It takes no effort whatsoever. You just throw in the towel, basically. By the way, that's a term that they use in the boxing ring. Okay, When the guy was ready, they said, we're, we're finished, he'd throw the towel in which was assigned to the referee, it's over. <laughs> in other words, we lost, right? But it says, uh, in verse 2, it says, there is a, this is a parable, of course. Jesus said, there was in the city a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, the same came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said to himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continuing, continual coming unto me, she weary me. And the Lord said unto uh, hear what the unjust judge saith. And by the way, God is not compared to an unjust judge. He is not an unjust, he's a just judge, Right? Verse 7 says, shall not, the God, shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry night and day unto Him, though He bear long with them? But notice this in verse 8. I tell you, He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth? Shall He find faith on the earth? And so God is saying, Jesus is saying here, God the Father is not like an unjust judge where he's just kind of tolerating this woman and says, I'm just tired of her coming to me. I'll just give her what she wants. Okay? Are you with me? But the Lord said right here that hear what the unjust judge saith in verse 6. God shall avenge his own elect which cried to him 
though he bear long with them. He will avenge them speedily. In other words, God will hear you. Amen? But the key right here is really actually in verse 1. Uh, and I'm so glad that the Lord said this, that men ought always to pray. Now, mankind is a better way to say it. Mankind ought always to pray and not faint or quit. Okay? Have you ever felt like quitting your prayer life at times? Okay. Or a better way to say it, if you go by your feelings, your body doesn't want to pray sometimes. All right? But, but Jesus made a statement here. It's so powerful that men are always to pray and not faint. He didn't just say that men are always to pray when things are going well. You know, when there's money in your bank account, when the kids are doing good. and In other words, everything's going good in your life. It's easy to pray then, right? But he says right here, men are always to pray and faint not. Because there is a reward for, for those that are his believers that literally press in and pray. Glory be to God. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you have to get down and pray for an hour or two hours. Now, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes you got, you got to do that, you know. But just the fact that having a non-quitting attitude, praise the Lord. You can always tell, I know, like when I was involved in sports and even watching sports at times, you know, different types of sports, you can always tell if a team got behind by several points or whatever, you could see that they weren't, they weren't trying as hard. They're like, this game's already finished, even though the third period or whatever's not ended yet. You know what I'm saying? And they just kind of like give up. They just kind of let the time clock run out, right? And, uh, and people t sometimes give up before the end of the game, so to speak. Praise the Lord. Now, um, I wrote down here again, people, and this is something that the Lord witnessed to my heart. I don't mean he spoke audibly to me, but he spoke in my heart, spoke in my spirit, all right? Just like he speaks to you. A few years back, it's probably been like five years at least, he said, I had this come to me and I wrote it down. He says, people that we read about in the Bible that did anything significant were first tempted to give up and quit. But they didn't give up. Okay? And you, know, you, you look at people like Moses, for example. These are just to name a few here. Some of the biggies that we know about. Like Noah, Moses, David, Israel, all of Israel. Elijah, the disciples. That's just to name a few. I'm sure there's others that we could name. But they were all tempted to give up and quit. Are you with me? I think uh, specifically David, when uh, the enemy came in, captured their wives, you know, and burned the city and took their kids. I mean, they just, they took everything, you know. And the people were so discouraged that were with David that they actually wanted this. They talked about stoning. Why do they always revert to that? They did that with Moses too. Let's just stone them. Get them out of the way. You know what I'm saying? And of course, over there, there's no shortage of rocks. They're everywhere still to this day. But, uh, you know, the people, David was their leader, you know. As a matter of fact, while I'm, while I'm on that subject here, go to 2 Timothy, just jump forward a little bit here. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. And let's look at the, the original army that David had. And let's just see a starting point. The people, he had 400 men that were with him. 
That's in 1 Samuel chapter 22. We'll just look at the first two verses here. Okay. First Samuel 22, verse 1. And the scripture says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. When his brethren and all his father's house heard of it, they went down thither to him. Now look at verse 2. And everyone that was, everyone that was in distress or stressed out, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. That's David. And he became a captain over there, and there was with him about 400 men. Now, that, that doesn't sound like, you know, the A team. <laughs> Are you with me now? Because all these people, it just names, you know, what their situation is. They're distressed, you know, they're in debt, you know, they're discontented, you know. And it says, they gathered unto David, and David became a captain over them, and there was about 400 men. All right? Now, the end result is completely different than the original 400 men that he had. These guys were all depressed, they're sad, they're discouraged, they're in debt, you know. It doesn't sound like they have a whole lot going for them. Are you with me? Yet, they said, we're going to put ourselves under David, and the end result, now we don't have time to get into it, the end result is they became David's 400 mighty men. And they didn't stay discontented. They didn't stay depressed. They didn't stay in debt. They became powerful men of God. Amen. And so the beginning of this, a lot of times people just look at the end. They just look at the end result of what happened with David's mighty men. But it sure didn't start out that way. Are you with me? So this is important because you can, you, everybody has a starting point. Everybody has a starting point. And where we start is one thing, but where we end up is a totally other thing. Praise the Lord. Now, David is representative. He is a prophet and a king. Okay? And they put themselves under that anointing of David. Praise the Lord. And that same spirit that was on David came upon these 700 men or 400 men. Praise the Lord. And the end result is it's absolutely glorious. Praise the Lord. You might say that David pastored, first of all, physical sheep. Okay? David was the shepherd of his father, Jesse's sheep, on the backside of the wilderness. And that's before he slew Goliath. Okay? He was the youngest of, what, seven brothers? And he was the most unlikely to be chosen to be king over Israel. Right? And when Samuel the prophet said, bring your boys to me, and one of them, each one of them marched by him, you know, he would look at them, and through the discerning of spirits and wisdom of God, he was able to discern, no, that's not the right one. Go from the oldest to the next, to the next, to the next. Finally, he got down. He said, do you have any more kids? He said, well, yeah, the youngest is on the backside of the desert, you know, watching sheep. He says, bring them to me. He was the most unlikely from the natural standpoint. Well, God looks on the... Man looks on the outward appearance, the Bible says, but God looks on the heart. 
Now, what was David doing there? It's, it's, it's an amazing study if you go into the life of David. It's just fascinating to me, you know. And the Bible says that David was considered a man after God's own heart. Praise the Lord. And uh, while he was there in the backside of the desert, there were no people there around. It was just David and his sheep. But he took that job seriously. And it was there in that place of solidarity, solidarity or whatever, however you say that. I say that right? That he began to know God. He began to know the Lord. Amen? And that's where he encountered the anointing of God and the power of God that he began to take out lions and bears to protect the sheep. Right? And it was in that place of solidarity that he was in that place of being by himself. Actually, he wasn't by himself. He was with God. And the Lord put it on my heart, you know, because David was a psalmist and he would write songs inspired by God and so forth. Amen. And the Lord put it on my heart that David would sing to the sheep. What else are you going to do out there? <laughs> he would sing to the sheep and he would practice the anointing that was on him back there where nobody saw him. He was developing those skills. He was developing his anointing in the Lord. You know, that that's where he took out the lion and the bear. And then finally when he went to Goliath, he had already experienced that stuff previously. Okay? And uh, so, so David was connected with the anointing. He was connected to the shepherd, the good shepherd. Amen? Because he was a shepherd. And he, when the Lord said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, he was thinking of himself being a shepherd to those sheep, right? Now let's go back here to uh, this Romans, I'm sorry, in uh, uh, Luke chapter 18 again, verse 1. And it says, Jesus said, men are always to pray and not faint or quit or give up. Or cave in, as another translation would say. Okay. Reasons that we should not give up and quit. Reasons that we should not give up and quit. God, number one, God never gives up on you no matter what. God never gives up on you. Bold letters, no matter what. He doesn't give up on you. Now sometimes people will give up on, the, up on themselves, but yet God doesn't give up on you. I was thinking about this over the last few days, you know, and it, it, just, it just became so clear to me how that, now listen to me, pay attention to this. You can actually have faith in another individual. You can have belief in them, faith in them, see potential in them, and that's good. But if that person doesn't see themselves that way, it will still hinder them. Are you with me? You can have absolute confidence and faith in an individual. It could be anybody, right? Have faith in them. But if they don't see themselves that way, very little can take place. Now, of course, it helps to have people surround you that believe in you. Right? Now, I say that to say this. The Lord, there's nobody on this earth that believes in you more than God the Father. 
He has absolute confidence in you, faith in you, belief in you, that you have what it takes to go over the top in any, any area of life. He does. Well, how do you know that? Because he invested, when he gave Jesus Christ to you, he invested everything he had. He didn't hold back anything. He gave everything. He invested in his son. He invested in the anointing and he placed that on the inside of you. Praise the Lord. And the Lord's just, he's just willing to wait several years, sometimes decades before we wake up to it. Oh, the long suffering of God. Oh, the patience of God. Amen. Now, I don't know if it becomes because I was a firstborn or whatever, but I was always kind of hard on myself, you know, and had high expectations of myself. And if I, if I messed up somehow, I'd be real hard on myself. You know what I'm saying? That, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I did. And, uh, and, I, and I, for some reason, I felt like that's the way the Lord was looking at me. Okay? And it took me a long time to realize that, that God... You know, if you want to paint a picture of God, look at 1 Corinthians 13. You know what I'm saying? The great love chapter. Bring that down just a little bit. The great love chapter. You know, love is patient. We usually hear that, you know, talked at a wedding. <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. You may kiss the bride. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, but actually, God is love. All right? God is love, so he doesn't have it. He is. He is love, and He is light as well. God is light, God is love. So a perfect picture, a painting of God is God is patient. Love is patient and kind. Love is not envious. doesn't boil over with jealousy. Amen? And read, you can read on about this, especially in the Amplified Translation. That is literally painting a picture of who God is towards us. God is patient. God is kind. To me, to you. Amen? Uh, who was it? Uh, the Apostle Paul said in his letters. He said, it's the goodness of God. I think it's Romans 2.4. It's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Okay? Now sometimes when we use the word repentance, we think of coming and bawling and squalling at the altar, you know, and crying on the floor. You know, that can be a form of repentance. You know what I mean? But a lot of times people come and, you know, have crocodile tears and everything, as they say, you know. And uh, they might cry at the floor, but there's no change in their life. You see what I'm saying? So, but the word repentance means to have a change of mind. That's all that that means. Repentance means change of heart, change of mind. In other words, you thought one way, right? And then that shifted, and now you're thinking another way. Actually, when we're in a service like this, a lot of times there's repentance going on. We just don't even know. It's just like shifting the way we think. Okay? And, and the, the Lord wants to deliver us and His people from, from uh, unbiblical way of thinking about yourself. Because if you look down on yourself, if you criticize yourself, if you look downward at yourself, that will put limits on what you can possibly do. Okay? Thank you, Lord. And even when you've given up at times, you said, oh, God, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know, I don't know if I can't. You know, the Lord says, you can. 
because I'm behind you. We see this scripture, and I'll just reference it in Romans 8, 31. You're all familiar with this. Paul said this, What shall we say then of these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I'm, I'm talking specifically right now about this point right here that men are always to pray and not faint, not quit, not give up. And one of the greatest ways we can avoid quitting, giving up, throwing in the towel is to realize how much God is for you. Even on your worst day, even when you feel the most pressure mounting up on your life, God says, I'm for you, I'm not against you. The circumstances might try to tell you otherwise, that God is for you. Even when your body is racked with pain and disease, God is for you and not against you. You're not forsaken of God, smitten and afflicted. <laughs> Amen. God is for you even in the worst part of your life, even in the hardest place of your life. God is for you. That never changes. Now, that's God's attitude. Okay? Now, your feelings will tell you otherwise sometimes. A lot of times, God's kids beat themselves up emotionally. They beat themselves up, condemn themselves, you know, after they've made a mistake or something, thinking that's the way God is looking at them. Quite the contrary. Because if God looked down on you, you would never have a way back up. If God was criticizing you. And, I, you know, I've heard uh, through the years, I've heard thousands of preachers through the years, you know. And sometimes people... Uh, that are called of God, that have a calling on their life, they present God in a way that's condemning to people. There's an air of condemnation that comes across when they minister the Word of God. Okay? And they'll get some results by that, but ultimately, you want God to be pictured in a way that's winsome, that draws you to Him. It's, it's the goodness of God. The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. Say the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord. When we realize just how good he really is and that he never gives up, never quits, never caves in. And I remember when I was, uh, uh, mm, let's see, I was probably uh, 14 years old at the time. And... Um, and I, I used to run track and field. You know, this is the time of year that that starts. You know what I mean? I did three things. I did the, uh, the uh, 440 race. I did the shot put and the discus. Okay? And, uh, my, but my, I was better at running, okay, than the other two. All right? And, uh, but I remember we had gone uh, this particular year, we had gone all the way to uh, the end of the season, you know, and we're having qualifications, you know, to go to the next level and stuff like that, you know. And, and I remember uh, I was at my high school and my father and mother came and there was hundreds of people in the stands. I remember it was on, on my right side. There's the stands that go all the way across Baldwin High School, you know. It's still that way to this day. And, uh, and I looked up there and I was getting ready to run my race and I was scanning the audience real quickly to see if my parents were there and of course they were there. You know, and when I looked up and I saw 
my dad, I can't remember if my mother was there or not. She might have been working at the time. I think she was. But my father was there, and I was looking, I could see him looking at me right there. And I was getting ready, and I, I got out of my stance, ready for the gun to go off. And I looked up, and I saw my dad, and I saw him going like this, you know. And just seeing him, he's in heaven now, doing the same thing. But just seeing his support for me gave me courage that, because he believed in me. Because he saw me at home. He saw all the training that I did. You know what I'm saying? That I would get out there. I don't care if it was snowing, sleet, below zero. Nothing would stop me back then. I'm telling you, I was relentless with it. But it was just something God put on my heart to not quit. Just keep trying, keep pushing. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and so... He saw all that work that I put into it. I wasn't just doing it once in a while. You know what I'm saying? So that particular day when I looked up and saw him up in the stands, uh, I was like, glory to God. I'm thinking, my dad's up there. He's watching me. You know what I'm saying? He's cheering me on. In other words, he believed in me. All right? So that changed my heart, my attitude. It put something in me that when that gun went off, I'm going for it. And when he did, when the gun went off... I won that race. Now, at the end, of the, at the end, I didn't win some of them because some of those kids were lightning fast. You know what I'm saying? You think you're good until you get to the states and so forth. You know, and you're like, oh my gosh. You know what I'm saying? And uh, but at that particular race, I won. You see, because I knew that my earthly father, we're comparing this to the heavenly father. He was there to watch, not these other guys. He was there to watch me. Okay. Was my earthly father perfect? Absolutely not. He had his flaws and so forth, like anybody does. But he believed in me. Amen? Matter of fact, I remember at the end, uh, uh, you know, uh, I would say at least 10 years before he went home to be with the Lord, he said, uh, so he was talking with somebody. He goes, he goes, I want to be just like my son. And I think about it. It makes me cry to this day. I think about it. I'm like, be like my son. You know what I'm saying? Because you have to understand, when my, when my sister and I got born again, we were saved first in the family. Okay? They thought we went off the deep end. They thought, you know, we started going to this Assembly of God church at the time, the Spirit-filled church, you know. This is back in, like, the mid-'70s. Okay? And, um, and they thought we went off the deep end. Matter of fact, they were, my, my mother was kind of offended because she thought, at the time, she thought, didn't we raise you good enough in this Methodist church, dead Methodist church, didn't we raise you good enough? And well, I wasn't going to argue with her about it. I'm thinking, no, you didn't. No. <laughs> but uh, but I, I had experienced, I had experienced, and I'd been in church my whole life, right? I was raised, but never had I experienced closeness and nearness with God that I did, Right? When I went uh, to that church, all right, because I had come to know the Lord right before that, and I started going to this church, you know, and it was spirit-filled, like I said, and uh, and it literally it literally changed my life, totally changed my life. But on that day, when I saw my father standing, sitting there in those stands up there with hundreds of people watching there, it made me realize my earthly father is for me; he's not against me. So when that gun went off, I was able to win that particular race. Okay? Now that's an earthly father. What about our heavenly father? Right? We know in Hebrews it says that we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. 
what are those, who are those witnesses? Those are all the Christians that have gone on to be with heaven, gone on to be with Jesus, okay? And they're in the grandstands of heaven. They know to a certain degree what is going on. They're cheering us on up there. They're not saying, you know, you loser, you're going to lose again, okay? You have to understand the people that are up there, they don't have the flesh to deal with. They don't have the carnal mind to deal with. They're with Jesus. There's no devil. There's no temptation. And they think like God thinks. Okay? Now, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to think like that. We can start thinking like that right now. But I, I, I was thinking about how our opinion of ourselves has more power than someone else's opinion towards us. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Praise the Lord. Now, when you start saying, when you start saying what the Word of God says, and preaching what the Word of God says, your mind can sort of reject it. Are you with me now? Now, let's go to uh, Micah chapter 7. If... uh, you're not sure where that is, I'll just say it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In Micah chapter 7. Praise the Lord. In verse 8, we're talking about reasons not to give up and quit. Reasons not to give up and quit. Number one, God doesn't give up on you. Now, that will help us when it comes to people in our lives that are, you know, going through a rough time. Okay? If you know that's how God sees you or views you, then we can, we can translate that into how we treat other people. And Micah 7 verse 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall... I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I'm sure, have you heard this scripture before? Well, I love this. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies. He says, when I fall, I shall arise. When I fall, that's the key right there. When I fall, I shall arise. Now, it doesn't say when I fall, I'm going to stay down doesn't say when I fall, I'm going to have a pity party. <laughs> no, it says when I fall, I shall arise. I'll get right back up. Amen? You know, uh, my pastor, Buddy Harrison, when I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for, for a short season, he was my, our pastor when we were going to Rainbow Bible Trading Center. He was Kenneth Hagin's son-in-law, you know. And uh, he used this illustration. He said he was in a, in a mall one time. And, uh, and you know how they have two levels? And there was a set of escalators, you know, uh, people going up and down and so forth. He said, he, he noticed this one guy, he had a big fancy hat on, you know, and he was, you know, trying to act cool. And he got on, he got on the top of the, ele- the escalator and he had this big hat on, he's trying to be cool. And he said he took, he took a step, wasn't paying attention, and he started falling down the escalator. Head over heels. Everybody say, ouch. <laughs> and he said, uh, 
he just stood there and he watched it. He said, man, this guy just went rolling down the escalator all the way down. He says when he hit the bottom of the escalator, he landed on his feet. And he stood up and he went like this. <laughs> Didn't even lose his hat. You know, he said, now that's cool right there. <laughs> when I fall, I shall arise. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, I've seen some people fall before in a mall, and it didn't turn out like that, I can tell you right now. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but that, that's the kind of attitude, really, that we need to have, is that when we fall, we're going to rise up. We're going to stand back up. In other words, when you make a mistake, when you think you failed, think you failed people and you failed God, you haven't. God still believes in you. And I, so, I think this is so vitally important when it comes to prayer. He says, I would that every, everyone pray and not quit. Don't give up. It's not time to quit. Someone asked Thomas Edison one time, uh, you know, who had hundreds and hundreds of inventions that we now enjoy today, including the phonograph, you know, but the incandescent light bulb was the one thing. And, uh, you know, uh, someone asked him, did you feel discouraged? Did you feel discouraged when you were making the incandescent light bulb or trying to get light out of this, you know? And he says, well, I can tell you a thousand and one ways that it's not to be made. In other words, I didn't quit. I didn't give up. Are you with me now? He just didn't quit. He didn't give up. He kept trying. He kept trying. He said, there's got to be a will. There's a way. And where would we be today without Mr. Edison? You ever do a study on him? I mean, the, there's no, no question that God had given him the wisdom to do what he was doing. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, let's go to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to show you something here. In 1 Kings chapter 19, let's do this in the New Living. Josh. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. I want to read a few, uh, few verses here. And this is talking about Elijah. The Bible says that Elijah was a man of like passions. In other words, he knew what, he wasn't some superhero as far as that, that, that is concerned. It says that in the book of James. He was a man of like passions. He was a man that did mighty things for God, but yet he was a human being. Okay? And... Uh, what we're going to read here is Elijah had just called down fire from heaven and he challenged the prophets of Baal, right? And the fire came down and consumed the altar and they realized that the Lord God Jehovah was the real God, right? We're not going to read the whole thing here, but I want to pick up in verse 1. It says, When Ahab... That's 1 Kings 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. Now she's a woman, right? May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. He's getting a threat from a woman. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now that's amazing because right before this he had called down fire from heaven. Now he's afraid of one woman. 
Now this just shows the frailty. He's a human being. And Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went uh, alone into the wilderness, traveling all day and sat under a a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Everybody say pity party. Okay. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than the ancestors who have already died. Boy, he's having a major pity party here. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree or a juniper tree. And he, as he was sleeping, the angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. And he looked round about, and beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. Now the angel did this. Think about that. The angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up, eat some more, or your journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. That must have been some kind of food right there. 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. The mountain of God. And there he came to a cave and there he slept that night. You know what's interesting about this? If you look at Ron Wyatt's videos, you know, and it's still to Elijah's cave is at Mount Horeb, which is right next to Sinai. There's only one cave that's there and it's still there. Okay? And if you go there with a tour group, you can actually walk up to that place, the exact cave. There's only one cave that's there and it's, it's still there to this day. And it says there, he came to the cave and he spent all night there. All right? All right, next verse. It says in verse 9, it says, But the Lord said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out, stand before the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there, and the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the, the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. That's pretty cool, right? So it's not an act of God, right? And after the earthquake there was a gentle whisper or a still small voice. Now this is God. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face and cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's like what God said to Adam, where art thou? (laughs) And he replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. Sounds like a little self-righteousness here. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left now try, and they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said unto him, Go back down the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. I will anoint Haziel to be a king of Aram. All right? Now it goes on to say there that I have said to you, God said to Elijah, there are 7,000 others that have not bowed. Am I right? There's 7,000 Israelites that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Get up and go back and finish the job that I've called you to do. 
All right? But here's the thing. In Elijah's mind, in Elijah's mind, he's thinking, I'm the only one left. Everyone else is backslidden. I'm the only one left serving you, Lord. But the Lord gave him a wake-up call and says, whoa, 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 hold on way here. He says there's 7,000 others that didn't bow the knee. In other words, they didn't cave in or they didn't quit. He thought they all quit. Elijah thought they all quit. Right? But they didn't. So in other words, I was reading this one time and the Lord showed this to me. The devil made it look 7,000 times worse than it really was. In his mind. In his mind, he was convinced. Amen? Now, uh, I heard Charles Neiman years ago. He was a pastor. He might still be a pastor in El Paso, Texas. And he was a Bible teacher in uh, Bob Tilton's Word of Faith College that they had the satellite college at one time. Do you remember that? Years ago. And... um, and he said he went to us. He went to this little local, you know, like a little town type circus. He went to this circus, and people had different things that they would do. One guy was juggling, you know, and some other guys would do things that kind of, you know, uh, that you would put into a circus, you know, and trick people and so forth. But he said he came to this one little stand, and it was called a flea circus. Okay, and he thought, what in the world is a flea circus, you know, and uh, and so. He walked up to this little booth, you know, and there was just a couple of mason jars, you know, good-sized mason jars, and you can, of course, see in the jar. And when he looked into the jar, he said, there's fleas in there, you know, just thousands of fleas inside this jar. You know what I'm saying? It's not like something that would you want to bring home, okay? And, of course, fleas can jump pretty high. If you have a dog, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they can jump, Right? Much further than they are big, right? And so he said, I'm going to show you something here that's going to fascinate you, you know. And, you know, he said he would unscrew the jar or the mason jar, take the lid off, and the people would step back thinking the fleas are going to jump. Okay? And uh, to everybody's surprise, they didn't. In fact, 100% of the fleas stayed in the jar. Right? And these are country folks. They know what fleas do and so forth. You know, and they're thinking, what's the deal with this? How come they don't leave the jar? The lid's off. Well, what happens is, is he would keep the fleas and feed them inside this little jar, and there's a lid, okay? And so when they were first put into the jar, the little fleas would jump up, and every time they jumped, they would hit their heads, their little heads, off the top of that jar, okay, the lid. And that would produce pain in the fleas. We're using an illustration here, right? And so every time they jumped, they would feel pain. So after a period of time, the little flea said, he's thinking, I'm not going to jump so high now. I don't want to feel that pain. So they would just jump a little bit. They wouldn't jump so high. To the point where he could unscrew the lid off of the jar and they were brainwashed into thinking, I can't jump this high, too high because if I do, I'm going to experience pain. All right? So even though the lid was removed, or the limitations were removed, right? The flea only jumped so high. Are you with me? Now, what's, what does that mean? Well, 
It's not that we're compared to fleas. But they, were, they didn't want to get beat up. They didn't want to feel that pain anymore, so they just didn't jump so high. But when he removed the lid, they could jump as high as they want. They wouldn't feel any pain. But in their mind, in their thinking, they're thinking, nope, I'm limited. I can't jump any higher than this. So they would all stay in the jar. Now, God himself has come down and unscrewed the lid of our life, taken it off and said, jump as high as you want. Go as high as you want to go. Because the limitations have been removed. You see, limitations are all self-imposed. I can't. I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the right looks. I don't have the right amount of money. Uh, I'm not educated enough. All these excuses that people make that we all do sometimes when it comes to quitting. But we need to expand our horizons. And the only way that we can do that is by looking at the Word of God and looking what the Word of God says because Elijah literally thought that all of Israel had backslidden. He said that. Lord, I'm the only one left. Here's another point. Never allow yourself to have a pity party. Okay? How many of you know a pity party is easy? You could say, oh, Lord, I have it so bad. Oh, you know, it's easy to go that route. But actually, when we, when we operate in self-pity, why, Lord? Why me, Lord? And we start asking those questions. Why, Lord? Why did this happen to me? Why was I born in this family? Why did this happen? You know what I'm saying? There's all kind of questions that we have, but we can't let those questions become a big question mark over our lives. Okay? I mean, how many of you grew up in a perfect family? I didn't. Right? There was definitely flaws, right? So most of our pedigree is not real good. Amen? I didn't come out of the womb speaking in tongues. Praising God. My family didn't serve the Lord. <laughs> All right? And uh, there was definitely deficiencies and so forth. There was alcoholism in the family. Okay? A lot of alcoholism. You know? My, my father got delivered from that. Amen? I'll tell you what. When he got saved and started serving the Lord... Uh, every night he would come home, he would stop at the bar up the street. And back in those days, there was bars on every corner. He would, I mean, it was like clockwork. He would get off work, go there, have his alcohol, and then he would come home. That was daily, okay? On weekends, it'd be a lot worse than that sometimes, okay? But when he got saved and committed his life to the Lord, he forsook all that stuff. I was so proud of him. You know? Amen? And eventually, it didn't happen overnight, he gave up cigarettes. He smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. Okay? When I was growing up, the only time I'd see my dad is he had a cigarette in his hand or in his mouth. That was like, that was like a third arm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, um, but, but the Lord delivered him. But we can make all kinds of excuses for our background and disadvantages and things like that. But I'll tell you, God believes in us. He believes in you. He believes in me. And no matter how much you think you failed, he's still there saying, I have your back. Amen? Praise the Lord. Do you believe that? I believe that. For God to give up on you, he would have to give up on Jesus. Jesus. 
And that's the truth. For God to give up on you, he would have to give up on Jesus because he, he gave, like you've heard the phrase, Indian giver. In other words, you give, then they take it back. Okay? God is not like that. I don't know if that, I don't even like that phrase, Indian giver, but you understand what I mean. I'm not criticizing the Indians, right? Okay? When you give to somebody, and then they take it back, right? Well, when God gave us his son, Jesus, he left them there for us. He left them there for us. He left his anointing. He left his presence with us. So even in your darkest hour, even when you feel the worst, God is still believing in you. Amen? So this should motivate us. You know, we're talking about effective, powerful prayers is to realize, man, God doesn't quit. God doesn't give up on me. And God doesn't condemn you. Now, God doesn't condemn you because if he condemned you, you would, there would be no way back. But I love what Micah says. When I fall, I shall rise. <laughs> if I fall, just get right back up. Praise God. Now, we, I'll close with this here this morning. The, the Lord is our shepherd. And a shepherd doesn't lead from behind. A true, natural, physical shepherd that shepherds natural sheep does not lead from behind and drive the sheep. He leads from ahead. He gets in front of them. Okay? And the sheep will not follow a stranger. They will not follow someone else that's not the shepherd. So, in other words, the sheep, excuse me, the sheep are familiar with the shepherd's voice. Okay? I was looking at this, uh, we, we played a video of this a few years back when we were in that room over there years ago. And um, a few years back now. And, and I actually looked up a modern day shepherd over in, you know, the Far East. And this happened to be in Turkey, you know, and they did this example. You remember that? And they showed up this, this big pen, you know, that had maybe a couple hundred sheep. You know, there's, there's a bunch of sheep in this pen, right? And it's pretty large. And so there's, a, there's one gate that they come in and out of, okay? And uh, the shepherd would have other people, strangers, go to that entranceway with him. And he would say, call the sheep. And so that people, men and women both, would say, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. They, they would do different things, and the sheep would, didn't, even, they didn't even lift their head up. They just kept doing their own thing, right? Some would yell, some would scream, you know, and just say, come, 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 you know, and they wouldn't do anything. But all of a sudden, the last person that stood up and went to the, he was right there anyway, but he stepped up to the gate where they come in and out, he had a certain call sign that he would make, you know, and that the sheep recognized his voice. Remember Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Strangers, they won't follow. And he made this kind of a, a noise, you know, that he would use to call the sheep previously. And all of a sudden, they showed, they panned the camera, and they, all the sheep lifted up their heads, and they started running towards the front gate where he was. And, of course, there's other bystanders there. They just started laughing. They thought it was hilarious, you know what I'm saying? But that's, that's exactly what, why Jesus used the illustration of a shepherd and a sheep because the sheep become familiar 
with the voice of the shepherd that cares for them and they, 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 they're not afraid, okay? They're not fearful. That voice sounds familiar. That voice brings comfort to them because they know if they follow him, they're going to get fed and they're going to be protected, okay? And so instinctively in that sheep's mind, they're like, I can trust that voice. The others, I'm not responding to them. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He says, I lay my life down for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And a stranger's voice, they're not going to follow. Amen? Say this out to me. Say, I am God's sheep. I hear his voice. Loud and clear. Every single day. Praise the Lord. Now, it's interesting because God's voice sometimes sounds a lot like yours. You can mistake it sometimes for just you. But in actuality, you know, you're, the Bible says, now it doesn't say your spirit is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It says your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if somebody moves inside of you, then certainly they're going to have some influence on you. Are you with me? If a person moved into your house that was a stranger, after a period of time, you would get to know them, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, <laughs> right? You would get to know them and their habits and so forth. Well, when God took up residence at the new birth and moved on the inside of you, you started getting acclimated to the voice of God. The first time you ever heard God's voice in your life was when you answered the call to get saved. Because no man can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draw them. You heard His voice and you responded to that voice. And it wasn't necessarily an audible voice you could hear with these physical ears. But inside you were like, I feel something compelling me, right? Well, that's the voice of God. Amen? Now, have you ever been going about your business, you know, and just, you know, taking care of business? And... Um, and a thought came to your mind that brought peace and comfort to you. Have you ever had that happen to you before? Anybody here? Okay. All right. Now, you didn't hear it physically, but yet you heard it. You heard it on the inside. Praise God. There's been times I've been standing in a, in a group of people you know, and there's been a lot of people around me, a lot of stuff going around in the natural, you know. And yet, I would hear God speak to my heart. Amen? I remember one time I was, uh, this, this happened many, many times, but the first time I went to um, Walt Disney World, probably about nine years ago now, we, we went into the Magic Kingdom where the big castle is, you know. And we were down in Florida for a Keith Moore seminar, so we decided to stop back there. I'd never been there before, you know. And it was overwhelming because I'd never been in, there's that many people from all different countries. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's the truth of the matter is you see people from literally every country there. It's like a, like a little microcosm of heaven because you've got all these nationalities, different people, different skin color. It's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? That's what heaven's going to be like. And uh, 
And I remember walking around, and I'm like, Lord, it's so beautiful here. It's just gorgeous. And it is. It's beautiful, you know. And, um, and I said, there's so many people here. And, and I heard within me, not, not audibly, but I heard within me, he says, yeah, Keith, I love every one of these people, and I died for every one of them. You know what I'm saying? And it just, like, it just it struck me in a good way. Just like, I just heard God's voice. You mean God will talk to you in an amusement park? He'll talk to you anywhere. Okay? Matter of fact, He wants to talk to us more than we want Him to talk to us. He loves talking to His children. I believe with all my heart, even now as you're sitting here and you're hearing this word, if you're even on the phone lines and you're listening this morning, as I'm speaking, God is still talking to you. That's the more important voice. Okay? As I'm speaking... He's speaking to you. He's imparting things to you. Uh, and, and that voice will go with you. When you leave this place here today in a few minutes, God's not staying here. I can tell you that. He's going to go right with you. He's going to go right with you. And so as the good shepherd, we become more and more familiar with his voice. Praise the Lord. So I want to just leave it with this. Don't quit. Don't give up when it comes to your prayer life because that's your connection. That's your spiritual connection. Prayer is a conversation. It's not just a monologue. It's a dialogue. Amen? And he, he invites us to come to him with, with every problem, every situation, and talk it over with him. Converse with him. Commune with him. Amen? It's important to know that, isn't it? We can get so ingrained in the natural, all the natural things we have to do in the natural. I've got to do this after the service. I've got to do this this week. You know, we get so caught up in the natural that we forget about God speaking to us in the midst of all that. Hallelujah. And I believe today, I believe throughout this week, He's going to be speaking more and more to us. Amen. Actually, to hear, to hear the voice of God is to hear wisdom. When you hear His voice, wisdom Himself is talking. He's talking to you. He's speaking to you. Let's just praise Him for a minute. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you so much. We thank you. We praise you right now, Lord, that you love to talk to your children. You love to talk to your sons and your daughters. Glory be to God. Praise you, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're not an absentee, Father. You're with us all the time. Everywhere we go. Hallelujah. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to cultivate and practice the abiding presence of God, you, Lord, in our lives every single day. That we'll be ever so conscious of your presence, you being there with us. Just knowing that you're with us encourages us. We don't even have to have you necessarily speak to us. You can if you want. But just knowing that you're with us, we're walking with you, will help us in any situation in this life. Thank you, Lord. Say this after me. Say, Lord, help me to become more keen and sensitive to when you're speaking to me. Throughout this week, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.